Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. This week I had my good friend Ed Karwacki back on. He was on episode two of this podcast way back when we started it, Deep in the Quarantine. We talk about that, what's changed a year later, what hasn't changed. And I had him on to talk about, we both grew up watching The Simpsons, uh, just continuing my series of episodes looking at representations of stand-up in a fictional form. We watched the season nine episode 15 16 if you're watching on disney plus episode of the simpsons called the last temptation of crust where crusty the clown tries to get back into stand-up at a comedy festival does very offensive material and then realizes he needs to update his act for the then 1998 comedy audience uh, we just kind of use the Simpsons as a way to talk about comedy and what's changed about uh, what can and can't be said, bring up current debates about freedom of speech and cancel culture, and just kind of nerd out about the comedy things we loved growing up. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, I've been pretty busy lately. Uh, my wife and I moved, so I'm in the middle of that, trying to schedule podcast guests and having people back on. It's easier to do things over Zoom, but hopefully at the new house, I can get my podcast set up going and get kind of back in the don't sit in the front swing of things. So apologies for putting out episodes a little bit late lately, but as always, thank you everybody who listens. Uh, let me know what you want to see more of in the show, what kind of topics you think should be covered. I think I'll be doing more episodes on stand-up specials, interviewing comics, having some new comics on the show. But you can reach me at Don't Sit in the Front on Instagram. That's the best way to hit me up. Uh, if you're more of a Twitter user, you can DM me there at don't underscore sit. But I don't post much there. Thanks so much for listening. This is an episode about the last temptation of crust. thing I was thinking about was what has changed since the last time we recorded one. So it's been over a year and, but oddly, so it was around the same month. So there are some points of connection. So if we just think about a year ago, there was episode two of this podcast. Now I'm on episode, this will be episode 64. And you think about in that episode, we had talked a little bit about what was happening for stand up in the middle of the quarantine and lockdowns. And one of those mm-hmm. things was, for example, uh, Dave Chappelle released that set talking about the George Floyd protests. So it had very prescient and important things to say, something to tell mm-hmm. the community and people at a very difficult, pressing time. We fast forward a year. Uh, I've not talked about it on the podcast yet, but I've made posts here and there about it on my social media for the podcast of like, I'm obviously not pleased with what he's been doing and saying a year later. Um, Mm -hmm. are they connected or not? That's like a very complicated thing. And that's part of what the issue seemed to be for him was basically a mostly white media 
he perceives telling him what he can and can't say as a black man. So very complicated there, but still it's kind of like comes down pretty clear of, you know, these are a marginalized group that you're talking about that doesn't really need you to be punching down on them. So like that's very different a year or from a year ago. Mm -hmm. There was another exact point of connection though. Oh, I was like election. Yeah, we didn't know yet. (laughs) We didn't know yet the Mm -hmm. results of the election. I remember your a mailbox just outside where you live was stolen. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny to think about what were we worried about a year ago, and everyone was supporting the post office uh, buying stamps just to give them money. Mm -hmm. Like the year scope out. Another thing was that before the pandemic, you were very much a go out and go to events type guy, but that's still kind of getting slowly back into it there was a little window there where maybe you did some of that stuff but then delta happened Mm -hmm. so i wonder i guess if i were to ask you know i don't think you've been back to see stand up yet but what is your uh, experience with the city been like how how much have you been going back out into minneapolis not much (laughs) that's uh definitely things are like opening up i think just starting actually unfortunately like this week where i'm like starting to go back out again start going to work again and when once that domino falls it's like okay i can probably wear my mask and just go to things mm-hmm. i think i had a small window where i was going to i went to see pig the nicholas cage movie like in the summer oh, like yeah. that, like, m- that one uh month or six weeks that we had yeah um and i was starting to like walk down i was going to the gym nonstop. I was going to just like trying to make make up for lost time. Since then, I've dialed that back considerably. Like I think everybody else has. Mm. And then like now, like starting, you know, next week again, we're going to a concert back at First Ave. And slowly it's like, okay, I think it's kind of finally dawned on me. And like, you know, just like a lot of people like this is not going away. Like COVID's not ever going away. Mm. Um, It's just how we deal with it and how we, uh, you know, the medical advances and and, and like the vaccines and the boosters and things are just not going to be as bad. Yeah. I don't know if you talked to our mutual friend, you know, Justin and and Corey about like their experience of the last like month with it. Oh, yeah. So since a few of our friends have gotten COVID and they're mm -hmm. fine, but. Yeah, they had their own little super spreader event apparently mm. back in their hometown. And uh, they, I mean, they're all vaccinated. They're all, I would say, smart individuals, with especially with their response to how this thing is. Yeah. And it um, seems like they all had relatively mild experiences mm-hmm. with it. And uh, I, I think that's due in a large part to the vaccine and what does that mean like you know going forward like okay that's when i started like opening my like maybe it's you go out there because it's like we're gonna get the boosters you start to pick up and you just risk it like that risk kind of like reward kind of you have to weigh the Mm -hmm. you know what you're what you're dealing with or what 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 possibly could happen it's much it's hard to like i don't it seems like you're downplaying it though in the same on the other hand you know yeah i had a lot of yes I had a lot of times I know I could go to something. I went to um, the other, the big difference of this is you being in the Midwest and where we grew up being mm-hmm. in the Midwest and our, the friends we're talking about 
the weather is very different. So I, I can always go to something outdoor here. It'll kind of get a little chilly in a month or two. Uh, and it's going to go back to at night it's in the sixties. So it's fine for us to do what we want. Large scale events can happen all year round here. And then there, was there any kind of resurgence of outdoor stuff? Uh, Because here there were always outdoor concerts and comedy shows, but they were not as popular. It was once in a while kind of a special thing, not the norm. So I wonder if Mm -hmm. Twin Cities had that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, definitely there was a, I think, a response to, I mean, I don't think anyone felt, you know, responsible for having their normally indoor events, you know, continuing to do so if they had the alternative. I know a lot of big acts pulled out of first have and held them at uh an outdoor i believe it was surly's mm. field an outdoor thing that they used to do um every once in a while you have a big one in the summer like a summer bash or something out on the mm-hmm. outdoor kind of arena of the big local brewery here um and a lot more of them kind of got pushed to that i think mm-hmm. the ones that didn't just outright kind of cancel in the last year um as far as the comedy that I couldn't tell you. I I, I kind of still, well, that was kind of part of my, we all, it's okay. That's the interesting thing. Pandemic. What did you change drastically over the last year? Yeah, yeah. Everybody has something, right? Uh-huh. And like, I think it was right at the beginning and it was almost coincidental where I just like shredded all social media. Like oh, yeah. I, I it had to do with the election. It had to do with, um, just people's response to the COVID. pandemic, yeah, just seeing mm-hmm. the worst. And then Black Lives Matter, just seeing the worst of everybody's. Mm-hmm. But it, it let you know right away. It let me let me personally know right away, these are people that I don't need to keep contact with anymore. The only social media I still have is for this podcast. I always, like, I keep, mm-hmm. it's the only thing that keeps my Instagram on my phone. And I hate that I have it for that, but I've made such good contacts with comics through it that, and that's how I get all my interviews. That's how I message people. Usually I have a Twitter that I don't use. If I didn't have mm-hmm. to have that source to to connect for people with the podcast, I would just do like you did and get rid of all my social media. The uh, As much as it's a boon and I will go back in time 100 out of 100 times and make the same decision, the hard thing that I'm still struggling with especially now that things are kind of opening up again, we're kind of hopefully getting things under control. I don't know how to find events anymore. Yeah. I don't know how to like, all keep those venues of... and bars and stuff have an Instagram page and they'll put mm-hmm. out all their flyers and stuff on there rather than, I don't know where else, where else you would find it. Yeah. And it's, it's one thing to find like big names. Mm-hmm. Like I'll hear about that eventually or I'll, or I'll, you know, when I check calendars on, um, big venues like right those get boiled to the top it's like trying to find the smaller things right the 20 dollar shows or the you know mm. open mic nights or whatever that's like unless you know the place because like so many small places just kind of like stopped i mean like the local bar kind of scene like that's completely different mm-hmm. that you would normally go to and and see something that wasn't like a main headlining you mentioned surly's right the brewery yeah. that um I know they have comedy shows because they, uh, mm-hmm. Sam Talent is a comic I like a lot. He's been on this show. He recorded uh, 
a special where he was on tour and it's right as COVID, ju- right just before COVID started and the last bit of his set in the special are clips of him talking, him like watching the news, seeing that COVID starting and mm-hmm. all that. And that's how the special ends. And this is being like, I guess this might be the last jokes we do for a while. Some of that's at Surly. So they have yeah, comedy shows and that seemed like a cool spot. That is a landmark of the cities. The Surly like brewing like the field and like the tap room and everything is like massive mm-hmm. just like in this field in the middle of a of a northeast there it's mm-hmm. just like huge um what did you so the last time we talked i had this ambitious goal of watching all of seinfeld didn't do it before it went off of hulu waited mm-hmm. long enough it's back on netflix i'll put it on in the background mm-hmm. uh uh-uh. so that's still a project king of the hill rewatch didn't get all of it but I think we talked about that the last time we talked. What ended up being some mm-hmm. of your surprise things you got into since we talked a year ago in the quarantine? I think we can, oh, I guess, man. in the comedy realm, if that. Specifically in comedy. Um, I was in the same kind of vein going through the Frasier. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, I, want, I don't even want to say rewatch. I think a lot of that I just saw in out of order and during syndication just like you know on the background or something it was not my parents favorite show growing up i think i remember we saw enough of it but not enough to like watch the new episode every week or whatever yeah um so going back and i didn't get i got three seasons in i want to say i think i stopped Mm. the beginning of season three um man man that show is funny and i think that I had that experience finding out which basically like people saying we were a Frasier house, we were not a Frasier house. And I think the unfortunate thing that happened to it was the humor itself boils down to not not super uh, pretentious Mm -hmm. mechanics. It's of jokes. It's just that the content they fill that form with ends up being, you know, super high culture references and things so i found re-watching it after going through like humanities undergrad and, and now in a phd mm-hmm. i was like i get more of the references but they're not important to understand to understand the joke so i was like right. whenever there was, was any criticism of that show being like oh it's pretentious or whatever i was like it's just mm-hmm. it's very base humor it's about like sex and uh mm-hmm. relationships and family dynamics and the dad and the brothers and it's mm-hmm. pretty base humor yeah, that was always my um, interpretation before I started watching it was that it's it was like the New Yorker kind of like yeah. comedy, like, you know, mm-hmm. like political cartoon or whatever. Um, no, more often than not, that thing is like the butt of the joke, that, that kind of concept, as mm-hmm. opposed to like this is who it's for and what it's about. Um, no, very much, very much appreciated. The uh, little I, I about, saw, I need to go there's back. A, there's a coffee shop in westwood which is where ucla is located that they Mm -hmm. change their back wall mural seasonally and Mm -hmm. for a magical brief period it was a pointillism photorealistic painting of fraser crane in the booth kind of with his like our hands tented like this like scowling with the Mm -hmm. microphone and it just like (laughs) so much i don't know i don't know how it's pronounced but freeze on you know the uh, there's a word for when like hair stands up in the back of your neck because something is sort of sublime or 
you hear like a <laughs> soaring part in a song and you get like like yeah, the hair stands up on the back of your neck it was like that seeing it i felt really seen by that <laughs> like awful. started pricing cafe nervosa merch mm-hmm. and then um one comic that's been on the podcast since last time we talked holly annabelle brown her dad worked on fraser as the um as one of the set designers i think so she's got mm-hmm. a lot of um like leftover stuff from it things that her dad left also pictures of her as a kid at, at like a halloween party with kelsey Grammer mm-hmm. attended the halloween picnic <laughs> in costume she's she doesn't have the chair does she i don't man that chair's <laughs> got to be in some kind of or will end up in some kind of museum because that show is also you yeah. mentioned getting three seasons into it i think it's like 11 seasons long maybe even longer and just it was an emmy machine yeah. eventually it's like they just swept the emmys for a couple of years there in the late 90s there's so much there's <laughs> so much to like pull apart on that show well one of the shows that we're talking about for this episode we wanted to talk about the Simpsons specifically because part of my project has been looking for representations of stand-up comedy in fictional forms. And I started that project, kind of the podcast within the podcast, when I was asking comics that I interviewed, have you seen a representation of stand-up that you think nailed it? And many people couldn't think of very many examples. Almost They almost all talked about Funny People, uh, the Adam Sandler movie of being for the portion of it that's actually about the show's stand-up, they say that seemed to nail that early 2010s stand-up scene. Mm-hmm. Um, people might mention Seinfeld, but it's just the interstitials that kind of st- structure the episode. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, there are not very many examples. There's a recent show, Hacks, that I liked a lot. But then I started to look at, because stand-up comics end up being the writers in television writing rooms they sometimes slip that in or they have you can tell they have more of the knowledge of how it actually works that'll make it into a more broad facing or mainstream show and then uh so then i was just looking around for okay what shows have an episode where it's focused on stand-up comedy like one of the characters tries stand-up or something like that and then i remembered that Krusty the clown on the simpsons there's this uh, image you'll see sometimes as a meme or something of him smoking a cigarette on stage with his hair pulled back <laughs> in a ponytail. And then I saw as I Googled, you know, which episode is that where Krusty, I remember one focusing mm. on his stand-up career. Uh, so we both watched uh, it's season, see it's Simpsons season nine, episode 15, although Disney Plus has it as 16 and I can't figure out why. Uh, Last Temptation Weird. of Crust. And Ed, when we talk about Simpsons seasons, you know, there's people that are like purists of these are the good seasons. These are the classic ones. These are the ones that people remember the most. What are your, what's your stance on the, the kind of classic and new age Simpsons? Like where the range like cuts off or I think that kind of falls. I think it's a better apart, thing to ask. Like, what are your Simpsons seasons? Because I know mine is very unorthodox. Yeah. I'll just say like my, I, in the pandemic, um, I got access to a Disney plus account and found out that the season of the simpsons that was new the first year that i had my own tv in my room was season Mm -hmm. 13 and i am i remember like word for word i must have seen them again in reruns i just found myself remembering so much from that season but what Mm -hmm. are your seasons so okay (laughs) we need to get tear maker up 
This is a tear maker discussion. Um, two, it starts at two. If I were to pick like the cream of the crop, mm. like my my S tier, right, is season two through I want to say seven. I still really like going up to I think eleven, mm-hmm. and then there's a certain point. I, I what's the one that everyone always says is the the episode. Where it starts to fall apart. It's the one where Skinner is uh, Armin Tanzerian. Uh-huh. Like the, not the real. The Principal and the Pauper. That's the name of that episode. Okay. That's where they're like, they're starting to run out of ideas kind of a thing. Like they say Which they I jump the shark, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it just kind of like everything kind of becomes, um, the characters kind of lose some of their depth, I guess. Homer uh-huh. becomes bumbling idiot instead of like bumbling idiot that cares about his family i guess um, for me i think one way to describe it and even though it's like young me loved this show just there's sort of a family mm-hmm. guyization of it where it just becomes about the characters are just a vehicle to have a cutaway and reference actually mm-hmm. something outside of the show in pop culture right. and i do know that there's a writing and pro- an executive producer there's a writing shift and a production shift Two, who is one of my favorite comics, is Dana Gould. Uh, has a big influence mm-hmm. on the show, and it shows because his humor is very much '60s television references and bouncing around all kinds of pop culture references in his comedy, mm-hmm. and then sort of a dark comedic bent to that. And you can kind of feel that in that season 13 that I was talking about. But I think it's what you're talking about is there's a shift. So that's my controversial take is like I. I just like the I I like everything people are saying about like season four to seven is the the cream mm-hmm. of the crop, but I also like later than that. Yeah, I I think that's kind of the um. Did not to go back to what we did or how we grew or whatever during COVID, like two things and these are almost at odds with each other. One, like what you like, like yep. nothing. <laughs> I've kind of had the realization that like okay, you can't like everything that everyone deems a good because that's boring as hell mm-hmm. that's like I, my favorite bands the beatles my favorite you know movies the godfather it's just like that. yeah. that's there's no like character to that like you just gotta like things that are and I, and I equate this to like the the butt rock obsession of like 2020 is what got me through <laughs> where we'd be playing we'd be playing games online and then just just blasting just that early 2000s butt rock that just it's I you do it maybe initially as like an ironic sense, but that iron that irony of like playing something or doing something like that quickly loses the ironic yeah. like take to it, and then it just kind of grows on you. Yeah, you, I think and you so helped like, me realize that. And then you, I, and another friend have a group chat, a music one, where we just tap in with each other and be like, insert band from when we were thirteen, kind of slaps, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And we're just kind of like. It's basically the corn chat. Let's just, yeah. let's just cut. Let's just cut it. Bring everyone up to speed. It's the corn chat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just you know, it, it's one of those things where like I think going up and maybe it's just like the age we are right now, where it's like you just stop giving a fuck. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I can I can swear out here, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. Care about I'll mark it explicit. Okay, I almost never swear just out of uh, a reflex, but yeah, it's explicit. Yeah. You, well, you got that. You got to have that like professional. Like you gotta, I won't say anything about you personally, but I know you, 
Oh yeah, talking, well I've, like, I've been. Oh, that's also changed. I've been a lot more forthcoming about what I do and mm-hmm. kind of where I work, and people can put all the pieces together. But yeah, when I teach, I, yeah, mm-hmm. that is true. I've learned that reflex too. I lose some of my Wisconsin <laughs> accent, and I uh-huh. don't curse. So, so open your fucking textbooks to yeah. <laughs> two seventy three. Um, but yeah, the only point I was making was like just like. You know, it's there's that fear. I think when you're in your like uh, teenage years and probably through your twenties, because I don't know why we always cut that off. That absolutely still exists through like your mid twenties at least, mm. where you're like, I can't be seen as liking something that's not like objectively or has some sort of like critical, like this is why this is good. This is why this is underrated. Mm. This is why it's like just like what you like. Like and there's, it's there's value to be found in anything. Like, there's I think. been such a resurgence too of going back to the things that are comfort, or especially in the pandemic. But that's like the the rise of the rewatch podcast, or like me doing this and mm-hmm. saying like, "Here's an old thing. Do you remember it?" And then we t- let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Let's dissect it as if it is very mm-hmm. current and important. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a interesting little thing you can do at home. You know, okay, it's easy to like pick up like. Pick a piece of media, art, you know, movie, song, band, game, TV show, whatever, and you can like say why there's something that's bad about it. Forget that exercise. Pick something like that. Pick something that's uh, like usually like frowned upon or dunked on, and just find one good thing you can say about it. <laughs> that's kind of like that's the butt rock thing I can say is just like you can go through it and just be like, okay, I kind of like like the melody on this thing. Or I kind of like, you know, that's, that was a pretty sweet guitar riff or like, you know, if people like, aren't familiar, you, if people aren't familiar yeah. with the term butt rock, because I was oh, yeah. the, the first, the first time I heard it, I understood it immediately. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I, I think, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I think I first, it clicked when I saw when there were those clips of Scott Stapp from Creed where they re- <laughs> reworked his audio where it's him just like mm-hmm. uh muttering things and it's incomprehensible that's mm-hmm. when like the term that's when the the signifier but just made the most sense to me to put on the rest of that and then it, you know it bleeds mm-hmm. further into like i don't know disturbed and corn mm-hmm. and like like the phrase like n- like you know nickelback is the worst band blah blah blah, blah. remember mm-hmm. that whole like kind of like shtick i think and i think like, covid killed that i don't think anyone thinks that yeah. about that anymore even even before COVID, before that kind of thing happened, or, or maybe people's, you know, how they thought changed, like they were far from the worst thing you can ever hear. It may not be what you like. It may not be, you know, you you can like things way more. You can kind of do like a musical analysis on, you know, uh, this is why this is not that great, but it's far from like the worst thing on the planet to kind of like loop this back to like the point that you're that old pat Oswald joke about like you know what i used to hate him so much and he used to be like you know fuck those guys whatever and then like as you got older he's just like you know they just got in front of a mic and went do 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 and that's it like that's all he did <laughs> like that's why 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 the the term like hate and just like having that kind of like vitriol over mm-hmm. something that's just like you consumed it and it wasn't your favorite it's just like there's more there's worse things in the world though spend your yeah, time I mean, and then kind of linking it back to the simpsons when i mm-hmm. i think this was another quarantine thing i was like i'm just gonna drop in and check out what season what 33 or 4 or whatever they're on with because mm-hmm. i think the show's as old as we are yeah like what season yeah. they're on with the simpsons mm-hmm. a recent one 
and I don't hate it. It's like all the ingredients are there. Like the, I've, I don't know what the metaphor would be, but it's like, it's still a kitchen. Like you already mm-hmm. know what you're going to get with uh, trying to make a Simpsons episode. I have heard, I have read reviews. I cannot say my personal experience. I've heard the newer seasons are better and are higher in quality. Mm-hmm. They, they, they dip back up again. Um, I don't know if that's true or not personally, because who has cable? <laughs> to yeah, find well, out. it's like it's I, only because I, I pay for Hulu that I can. Yeah, because that still Fox still has their mm-hmm. deal or whatever with Hulu or all their new shows around there. Can you imagine the cultural event? It's going to be when that show finally ends. Yeah, I don't. I was thinking about that when I was watching the up for this. When I was watching the episode for this episode of the podcast, mm-hmm. I was like, I will that ever happen? It's, it's kind of like will right? SNL ever will SNL ever end? I think because of its format, it might not. But like, mm-hmm. uh, it's you know what it's going to be? It's going to be like Hank Azaria. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, like he something happens to him, or yeah, you know, Dan, you know, Homer's voice, Dan Castellana. I can't, yeah. I can't remember his name. Like something happens then once the voices go or something happens, then it's like, how do you salvage that? Julie Kravner is Marge's voice. Mm -hmm. I don't think she's super old, but Mm -hmm. yeah, because you can't replace them. It's going to be weird. And I haven't watched in forever, but I'm assuming it's the same voice actor kind of stable. But there's like four of them that do every character. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like. It's like once one of them leaves or something happens, then like that's a whole like twenty characters you're gonna have to yeah. either drop out or replace. Like that's that's got to be it, right? Yeah, like, like that's another thing I realized too the the impact of the show on. Uh, I wonder if you feel this too, just how much it influences people's sense of humor. So it's hard to mm-hmm. imagine a world without that being a formative thing where people learn this is it's like you couldn't boil it down and figure out exactly mm-hmm. what it is, but like, this is what makes something funny or a reference funny. But I was just thinking mm-hmm. about watching the episode that I know a bunch of these tertiary characters names, but I was like, mm-hmm. do I remember? Oh, yep. I remember Kent Brockman. Like, you know, a lot of it's cause they say their own name <laughs> when they appear. Sure. But, yeah. and the show's good at teaching <laughs> you and keep reminding you of who lives in Springfield. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine a world where that's not one of the first things influencing people's sense of humor. You hear it a lot on comedy podcasts, stand-ups, and people getting into TV and other comedy writing that you know, that's sort of their holy grail mm-hmm. is Simpsons. That that and just how the world or how, I guess, TV has changed where it's like what – nothing's going to ever come that's going to be that big of a cultural landmark from cable – Right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, what Netflix contract, what, you know, Hulu contract, whatever, like how would a show like that? Like you, you kind of have like the smaller scale kind of contain you know, the Bojack Horseman's, the mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want, you know, they're out there that kind of you can tell her they're trying to fit that mold. But like, will there ever be another every Sunday, you know, before football or whatever or after football? Yeah. Sunday Night Football, that big like cultural like everybody just watched it. Like nobody, nobody had. I think part of that the popularity. I mean, obviously, I don't want to take away anything from the from the quality of the show. It's one of the best written comedy shows, you know, or pieces of comedy of all time. Um, but the fact that 
everyone was exposed to it, which is something that you cannot say about like a Netflix show or a streaming show. Like, right. Mm-hmm. You, you can, you have to choose to watch it on Netflix. Whereas like people just had it on and maybe by chance, like absorbed it Yeah, you know, anywhere else. Like that's crazy. That's something I noticed when I, the different times or especially like the first time I lived in South Korea was everybody knows the Simpsons there. Like I, people mm-hmm. around our age, especially, and you can, you could talk about a Simpsons episode in another language, uh, flip the, switch the names to fit into their transliteration or romanization. And then it just, mm-hmm. people know what you're talking about. Like they might even know the tertiary characters or they might have a little bit different names, but the fact that I could mm-hmm. talk about the Simpsons with people from a whole different culture was like, oh, that's definitely the import mm-hmm. of it. And the fact like I, you know, a lot of it is uh, just about everything is some part of the animation process happens in South Korea too, might be part of it, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't um, even think about that. Um, oh, we're talking about Krusty. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about Krusty. So the fact that he used to be a stand-up comic, I sort of knew mm-hmm. that intellectually, but this episode I mix this up. I think there's another episode, if I dig a little bit, where it goes into his uh, old days as a stand-up comic. I thought that's what this was going to yes. be. When I when you Google Krusty the Clown stand-up, you'll, you'll get the picture mm-hmm. of him with a black shirt on stage with his hair pulled back in a ponytail with a cigarette, which is kind yeah, of I like trying to be Carlin a little bit. That's Bill what Hicks. I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a George Carlin haircut. Yeah. Rug. That ponytail is 100%. Um, so when I asked you about, do you want to do an episode about this episode? Had you ever heard about it? Or like, have you thought about it? Remembered it? Do you remember watching it? I, I know I've seen it before. I know because Simpsons to me was, is like my comfort show. Like to the same extent that I think like a lot of people have like The Office. Yep. Or Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. It's like it was always Simpsons for me. I, I remember watching it all growing up um, after school. Before dinner was done was like you'd put on whatever channel like UPN or whatever channel just had like mm-hmm. the reruns on until dinner was done and then the news was on. Um, and then in college, I got a hold of all the like copies of the DVDs. Yeah. And that was my like i get home from class and i would just like it would just always be on in some capacity in the background um and i i probably didn't get beyond like 15 six season 15 16 but i definitely have seen this one before um it does not stand out to me as like one of the best ones or most memorable ones but I, i i know i i know i've seen it Except I think a lot of people remember it for it having the Canyon Arrow. The Canyon Arrow. That is what kind of, that, that's an earworm. That's so we'll, we'll get to why the Canyon Arrow is in the episode. But um, the basics of the episode is that Krusty the Clown, I'm forgetting like the very beginning of the episode. So he. The hard thing about trying to remember a Simpsons episode because the first like, and it's not even the first act, the f- like the open of it has never has anything to do with what the episode is. Yeah. It's always, especially in the later seasons where they started getting like wackier with it. Mm. It has nothing to do. It, it was that they go to the mall. The Simpsons go to the mall. They do a bunch of like dumb little bits with like the shoe store and the pet store. Where Homer gets into the argument with the parrot. Oh yeah. And then like, there's just a guy out there that's like giving out 
tickets oh, to a comedy for festival. a comedy festival. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then Bart is the one who says this can't be a, a real comedy festival. You don't even have Krusty the Clown on the bill. So the people on the bill are Jay Leno, who's the guest, the celebrity guest voice for the episode. Bruce Baum, who I don't know much about, but seeing the Simpsons version of him, I remember that comic. Mm-hmm. And then Janine Garofalo is very recognizable. Bobcat Goldthwait's Simpsonsization is pretty <laughs> funny. Who, like, sidebar, he, like, I've seen him a couple times do comedy in L.A., and he's just a really great comic. Like, he stopped, he stopped doing The Voice. He's made a couple cool movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's behind the camera guy now, right? Like, yeah, you director. that? He's like pretty successful. Well, I don't know how they measure that, but like successful director. He's directed mm-hmm. a lot of comedy specials. Um, mm-hmm. He has a new. Crit- critically, I think. Yeah. Right. He has a new. It's like a t- tour documentary where he went on the road with Dana Gould just before the pandemic. So they kind of have a new comedy special together. It's like a tour documentary, too, which I definitely want to check out. Um, and then Stephen Wright is another of the. Oh, yeah. Yes, so they they all voice to themselves. If I'm reading the Wikipedia uh, uh, entry correctly, and the, the original mm-hmm. air date was February 22nd, 1998. So to kind of place it in time, but that's <laughs> yeah, a, that's that's an important thing to establish on this one. <laughs> yeah, and then so There's the some... other thing was that um, I'll read from the Wikipedia article just because it tells you. So Krusty's going to perform on this comedy festival but then hasn't done stand-up in a long time. And part of it is a comment on how once people come out of that club scene or however they came up, then they are successful. They have their television shows or movies and things. And then he's out of touch with not only stand-up, but the real world and how things have changed. So he goes on stage and does uh, like extremely offensive Asian stereotype. And the they depict the crowd then being shocked at this. Which now I'm kind of like in 2021, I'm like, it's a, the crowd would be shocked depending on where you are. Is it a club? Is it a shitty club? Like it's very (laughs) like, uh, hard to place what would actually be the reaction now. But uh, let's say my first thought, I don't know if this is an accurate kind of parallel to draw the Kramer thing. Oh yeah. Would you you draw to the Kramer thing a couple of years or more than a couple of years back at this point? It's a while ago at this point, but I would point to 2021, the Tony Hinchcliffe thing. So in, I -hmm. think Austin, Texas, his clip, you know, people would say he's doing, he, I mean, said things that are anti-Asian in almost (laughs) the same way. But so in making the episode, the Wikipedia taught me that, uh, they, (laughs) that it was hard to get it through the censors because of how offensive Krusty's old material is. Um, they said mm-hmm. the production team's decision to write an episode about stand-up comedy was influenced by comedy festivals. The writing staff initially had trouble getting Krusty's offensive bad jokes through network censors, but convinced them this was simply a way to emphasize his old and dated comedic material. My question for you, I thought of was, do you, there's a there's a discourse out there now that people say when you see something like this, when something in a fictional or even if it's a setup to a joke is offensive to make a point about the fact that it is offensive and make a joke about something else people will will say Mm -hmm. you could never have that on an episode now and i kind of think that might be true but not for what i would deem good quote unquote or progressive reasons 
there's sort of this discourse of like you can't say anything anymore. You 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 can't. You could never make that now. Is a phrase that gets uh, spit uh-huh. out by kind of like shitty bro comics or whatever. But I think you couldn't make that now because networks are too afraid to point that out as being extremely offensive. They just kind of want to whitewash everything where there's nothing offensive that could possibly lose some of your viewership that's going to get people looking Mm -hmm. at advertisements and things. I don't know. I agree. I think there's like two thoughts that I have with respect to that. One is that people have the ability today through the power of social media, the internet, whatever mm-hmm. to, if they, if there is a problem with it or there, if there is something that is offensible, there is something that is, you know, cause for a stir that they have the power now to let people know that and let the people know in charge mm-hmm. that they disagree with that. You see it every day on Twitter or whatever mm-hmm. people calling out, and I think that is ultimately a good thing, mm. that, that power, that, I mean, more people have a voice now that, than they ever have before. I'm trying to, like, be as diplomatic as this is possible because this could easily be rebranded as Ed Karowacki on the podcast cancel culture rant like yeah. everybody else does. Like, ugh. I but saw a tweet. I saw a tweet. A tweet, ironically, a tweet recently that was saying, mm-hmm. "I wish I could com- wish I could credit the." I think it was a comic that said it, it was like, "Maybe it's not cancel culture. It's that you did something stupid in front of millions." Right, and you have the ability to, you know, actually like make that known or make it like, "Hey, that was, you know, not a cool thing that you put on your show or your act or whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there are extremes of that or there are just like i don't know just the internet sucks yeah even when you have a val even there's for every like person there's a valid point there's another person that's just like stirring shit Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of hard like i do ultimately think it's a good progressive thing overall oh god i'm gonna get canceled for this (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to be so after this, if you know what, if you people cancel me, I'm going on Joe Rogan next week. Yeah. <laughs> You'll really hear what I what I have to think. Ed Karwacki, um, my childhood best mm-hmm. friend, has a very busy schedule, and he can waver very easily from <laughs> "Don't sit in the front" or the Joe Rogan experience. It's all up to how you react to this episode. So treat him well. Um, but that that was the first thing. Is just that people. That's why I think it's harder to do today. Just because if you do mess up, if you do make that misstep, I mean. What were your avenues back when, like, you know, this episode aired compared to, like, today, right? Like, Mm -hmm. more people, it's easily to get things trending. It's easy to get people's attention um, and really kind of shine a light on some of these things, which I, again, ultimately, I think that's a good thing. It's just for the sake of art and for the sake of context, you know, context is everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're going to say the words or the slurs or the show a horrific thing. If you're making a commentary on that that thing itself, um, man, how else do you do it without actually like you know? It's almost a disservice if you're trying to like make a point against it to kind of like to knee to kneecap it. Yeah, there's that whole argument of you can laugh at things the wrong way, which ironically is like why Dave Chappelle left show business the first time to be mm-hmm. like people are laughing at the Chappelle show and the the commentary on racism and things there you have all these white bros basically coming at coming mm-hmm. up to him on the street and repeating things back to him that was like i don't think you got the point of what we were 
parodying in that. Right. And then mm-hmm. cut to maybe in 1998, you definitely are going to have a lot of people mm-hmm. laughing at Krusty's very offensive Asian caricature the mm-hmm. wrong way, quote unquote. But right. I wonder though, is like, does the episode, the episode comes down on the, the message of the episode is that he needs to mm-hmm. update his material because it is offensive, but it's it sort of it, a little bit half-assed because it's like you, you need to change it so you're more relevant again not it's mm-hmm. bad oh yeah no it definitely mm-hmm. exists in that weird place that gray not gray but like that weird like they they 100 were trying to paint that in a bad you know mm-hmm. his stereotype um or stereotypical whatever that joke was if you can call it a joke mm-hmm. um but it wasn't at the which was that was progressive yes but like not i know what you mean not enough where it was like it, you can kind of tell like you, that was just kind of like a shock joke that it's almost like that's the example they use it's like a, like they weren't really saying like you can't do the, the message of that episode wasn't like don't punch down mm-hmm. that it was just you need to stay current or you need i, I mean it's Man, finding your morality from The Simpsons is a hard, <laughs> is a hard but, sell. I mean, I I've like, heard people talk about, I remember, and this is, again, probably in the quarantine, probably when I was super emotional, but I remember someone describing Lisa Simpson as the, uh, and again, for like the very section of the mm-hmm. U.S. that watched, watched The Simpsons might be, I don't know how those demographics break down, but for me, being like a white guy, The Simpsons is pretty important. But mm-hmm. someone saying like Lisa Simpson is the conscience of, uh, a generation 100 oh, yeah. yeah there is i'm trying to think of examples of like earlier seasons but like like the one where she goes vegetarian yeah and she's the only one in the town that uh i mean homer is kind of painted as like they're at odds or they're, they're button heads with each other but like everyone but her is just like she's kind of has this like new like new agey progressive kind of like idea mm-hmm. and just kind of her constant struggles or probably most important probably the best example of that is do you remember the one where she's like trying to trace their the Simpson genealogy, Mm-mm. and they eventually find out? I forget. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what starts it. I can't remember off the top of my head. But like all the Simpsons men are idiots. Yeah. And then she's afraid that she's going to become like everybody else, and then she realizes like all the Simpsons women are like doctors and uh, scientists yeah. and stuff, <laughs> and it's like a very kind of like heartwarming in the end until they cut back to Bart and they're all just in the, in the yard with their shirts off with buckets on their head like <laughs> I do remember each that, other yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so Krusty then realizes he's no longer mm-hmm. relevant so his idea so Bart wants to help him update his material so he puts on his own comedy festival it's called like the Bart Comedy Jam in their living room so then <laughs> I just laughed at this. I wrote it. I wrote it down word for word um, when Krusty comes out. And then it's a little bit of a commentary, the tropes of like the alt comics. So the person that's the harshest to him is Janine Garofalo, who at that time was sort of like the queen of alt comedy. So they take this into he's performing in a living room, which I think is funny because people have done that for their specials. So like um, Maria Bamford has a special where she performs for her two parents in her living room. So tropes of alt alt comedy he brings up his notebook with him he's kind of like oh where's my water he's very he's referencing the fact that he it that it is rusty uh and that he's up there doing that for the first time new material but he says i'm a real person and as a real person i've made some humorous observations about real life (laughs) 
Because when they tell him you need to update your material and talk about observe, or Jay Leno tells him you need to talk about things that people go through or their real life observations, he starts talking about having a butler and stuff to show that he's out of touch. Um, mm-hmm. But then he, it's like you kind of see where he's doing things that maybe Jerry Seinfeld would talk about, but he doesn't get it as like what makes that observational humor funny. Um, mm-hmm. So then he goes to give a press conference. And in that, then goes on a rant about observational comics and how they're not funny. Then he kind of goes into a Bill Hicks or uh, Carlin type rant. And I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that as a gift before of him. Like he lights a dollar on fire and gets the whole, uh, I think because they're at the, they're at most tavern, right? Mm-hmm. When he goes in, he's performing. Then he, again, is this, I don't know. I kind of have it mixed up. At the press conference, he goes on a rant. Then he revamps his whole act to be like this Bill Hicks Carlin type comic where he's just mm-hmm. ranting about how uh, observational comics, like they've also lost touch and they've lost some kind of criticism. He burns a dollar, gets everyone in the bar to burn dollars. I mean, it's basically just that on a couple different, on loop for a little bit until eventually he gets the popular enough doing that to uh attract the uh marketing guys from the canyon arrow oh yeah yeah oh yeah because he has I mean, the, are you thinking what i'm thinking and then the guy puts his hand on he's like i thought i did yeah. myself clear yeah <laughs> so I, I remember i remember that isolated from the episode uh disconnected mm-hmm. from the actual plot of it which kind of funny that like that's a joke i don't think you can make like that was clearly like the butt of that joke being like gay guy likes you know whatever like yeah. gay guys that butt of the joke uh-huh. for, for for being gay like that's it and it's like it's kind of funny and that's that's the thought i had in this episode was like for the message it was telling and then to watch this episode <laughs> like the same kind of lesson should apply to like that episode in a sense yeah which not specifically this episode there's everything from that time mm. um kind of has that same like i do you remember okay here's gonna take you back um our first year in college that would have been 2008 um seven to eight yeah. i i think i saw you i visited you once it must have been around your birthday i stopped at one of those like disco rounds or you know one of those like resellers of like old cds and stuff yeah yeah and I picked up for a dollar as a your birthday gift, a Pauly Shore <laughs> oh, yeah, stand-up. Yep. And I remember, I think we put it on in your dorm room. And the first opening, do you remember what the opening of it was? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah uh, he comes out and just calls the whole crowd the F slur. And I'm just like, we both looked at each other like, okay. (laughs) Um, But to a thunderous crowd, right? He was top of the world at that point. And just how quickly the world like changes, specifically in comedy, it feels like. Yeah. Because comedy is always trying to like, at least the the later kind of, um, or this kind of like modern comedy, which you probably could. Talk about way more accurately than I can, but mm-hmm. like the pushing the envelope variety, which is like how a lot of them, I feel like a lot of like at least comics that make the big, make it big time. Mm. And then suddenly like a decade later, and I think it's kind of like advancing. It's like almost like exponentially accelerating of like what was funny today will not be funny in like five years, 10 years. And mm. like 
will be actively like looked down upon like remember like 90s it was always like cocksucker this blah 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 that and it's like well what are the connotations there like what do you really mean by that and then like yeah. every like 90s movie i want to see or 2000s where it's like the caddy gay best friend kind of thing and everything mm-hmm. that's like that's their only character trait and it's like uh, yeah they're not a they're not meant for comic relief you know it's that's it's weird you know a lot of that has survived it's just changed the packaging a little bit and just enough to include some self-referential joke of so i see this a lot with kind of um more so i saw this very recently at a, a smaller alt show where someone who very much performs in clubs was on this lineup and you could tell that his entire act because it was offensive and the crowd wasn't having it but he had little lines built in it was almost like he had a blueprint of when i do my act at an alt room add this tag which makes me Mm -hmm. end up looking like a good guy because i'm making fun of the homophobic joke i just made and I remember yeah, it was like, I, knew, I was, yeah, I was like, it was like exactly like a flow chart. Like if they don't like this, say this. So I, mm-hmm. I could like, it was like, it was like Neo seeing the code in the matrix where I was just like, it felt so <laughs> icky because I was like, you fucker, like you, the, the content of what you just said is still punching down on this marginalized group. You've just figured out a way to be like, well, maybe it isn't. Then you come away looking like, oh, I just tell it like it is. That's one thing I wrote down was like, I think Krusty's rant came down to this issue of like, are you telling it like it is or just being a dick? And I think mm-hmm. there's a fine line between those. But the f- the funny commentary was that people actually connected with and liked him again when he had like an anti-capitalist message and then the flip to where he gets the canyon arrow uh mm-hmm. the canyon arrow sponsorship what do you think is the appeal because this was existing then and it still exists today the like angry rant comedy mm, like a lewis like Black why, or- why yeah. yeah, Lewis, Bill Burr, you could say. Yeah. Um, Man. That whole, like, the entire thing is just going off. Like, what, what what's the appeal to that? And what's the, um, not that I'm, I, I, I enjoy it from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when, when someone's good at it, it's like a sight to behold. The Dan Harmon. Oh, yeah. just go off like that. Yeah. Like, what, why is that so popular, do you think? Or why is that such a, do you think that'll ever, like, go away? Like, that style? I don't think it'll go away. And then there's sort of like right and left versions of it. So, mm-hmm. cause I think it's just people that's that telling it like it is saying it's if someone is voicing mm-hmm. the concerns you have, the anger you have, the, the social contradictions that you observe or you experience in your own life. And someone's putting it all together in a clever way and presenting it back to you and saying it in a way that you've mm-hmm. been feeling, but you didn't know that maybe you didn't even know you felt that until they said it. And that's kind of why you laugh is you're surprised that someone's saying what you were thinking. I think that will always mm-hmm. have uh purchase. Yeah. That's like, you can look at, I mean, even in my own like field and studies and things, just different performances that goes back to just people gathering in a village on like the farm market day. And then there's a jester, you know, Yeah. just how it seems like every like year we're more and more aware of the world. Mm. Whether or not it's true or not, it's another story. But like, you know, back, you know, 50s, people were in their little towns and you got your like Sunday newspaper. Mm. And you're like, oh, what's going on in the big city? You know, 
no one was really and now today everyone's got like the entire 24 there was the 24 hour news cycle and then there's like now it's just like the two second news cycle or just like what's yeah. going on riots over here what dictator is doing this over there what's going mm-hmm. on with january 6 kind of thing like you know just there's mm-hmm. just con- you're constantly hooked in to like the world and the world is there's always something shitty happening in the world that kind of like idea that the scary angry things are what's going to get the most kind of clicks and therefore all the everyone's got tunnel vision on like what shitty thing is currently happening that day and i think just like there's just that underlying like anger that yeah that makes me wonder if like you said if that will always be there if that might lose some of its potency for the kind of rant comic because i know in the middle of the pandemic i didn't want to really hear like cops the kind of comics that i like that do that sort of thing like eddie pepitone's a good mm-hmm. example of he's always kind of yelling about the impending apocalypse or whatever but it's like when we were mm-hmm. kind of feeling like maybe it was here i didn't really necessarily want to hear about mm-hmm. it and the other thing is Everyone has that ability now to look at every bad thing that's happening. People are learning a lot more about how to respond to those social contradictions and problems. So that might lose potency. The other thing I was going to think is uh, another comic of the day, the 1998 episode with Krusty that might be commenting on is kind of like Dennis Miller. And that is the perfect example of how you can wield it very different ways i don't i don't think you would Mm -hmm. say his critique like dennis miller's rants and critiques and things in the 90s were left in any way but were sort of Mm -mm. anti-establishment and you know then he flipped to be like hardline uh conservative so that skill can be used Mm -hmm. both ways i i don't want to talk about dennis miller too much (laughs) (laughs) because i that's that's i mean the whole other topic. I just always like, did he flip? Did he do the thing where it's like he stopped being popular, and so then he's like, "Well, fuck it, I'm gonna flip now." And yeah, I mean, try do whatever I can to grab an audience. I feel like that's a lot of ways with like kind of like washed celebrities. I think about that with um James Woods and his like yeah. crazy fucking rants and stuff. Where it's just like, it, you really like, I, I don't doubt for a second he believes kind of that some of that stuff, or or a lot of them do. It's just like, is this a way to try to like? claw your way back to the line he really played that wrong because like he was entering into prime territory to do the real prestige weird Mm -hmm. fucking roles like oscar machine late career him but then he the people are always complaining about like all the liberal media and hollywood blackballed (laughs) somebody it's like you i don't know it's like you could have played that better if even let's say those dynamics are true and that's how it works it's like like, you're an asshole so people don't want to work with you mm -hmm. Goddamn, Wes Anderson exists. He would have had a fucking stable paycheck yeah, for, <laughs> for the last for the rest of your years. You you fucked that up. Yeah, I was all wonder too that like the whole like rant thing was it a is it a Carlin thing where like he was how he kind of like is revered as mm. you know top performer of all time, and he'd go on those kind of like philosophical kind of just like anti-establishment rants. And people are kind of still emulating that. Like, are they still feeling the effects of, you know, what many would consider like top of the game of a generation? Like, Mm, yeah. Well, this is a perfect entry point that when I was watching it, that I felt last week, uh, Mort Saul died. Mm -hmm. He's 94. And I hadn't, I'd always heard his name in reference when I would look into older comedy and stuff. 
uh, Lenny Bruce or someone working at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then I went and on YouTube, just you can listen to Mart Saul albums. So they're 19, mid 1950s, the late 1950s, early 60s. His biggest thing was he was a critic of the Eisenhower, the Dwight D. Eisenhower administration. <laughs> and it All is right. almost eerie to hear how, you know, when you think of the 1950s, you think of like, um, maybe like Dick Van Dyke show or mm-hmm. a very leave it to beaver, leave it to beaver people speaking mm-hmm. with a mid Atlantic accent, sort of propaganda film type picture, but hearing mm-hmm. someone sound as if they are a kind of alt comic of today or almost sounding like Patton Oswalt or something. That's what Mort Saul sounds like in 1958, hmm. or I think was the album I listened to in 1955. So I, people, if they feel like a, stand-up comedy nerd and you go back and listen to it we just lost mort Saul is very interesting to hear his critiques of like the early days of mccarthyism and stuff um <laughs> but that's so if people know i think you might know at the zach galifianakis special live at the purple onion that's what i always sure. that just sticks because i know like every word from that special he says he, he he points to an old guy in the audience he's like you look like you've never said the word dude in your life and uh <laughs> he's like why what brought you to the show and they said oh we were here last week and saw the flyer and he's like, who did you see? He said, Mort Saul. And then like uh-huh. Zach Galifianakis is just like, yeah, the, the, if you really, if you like Mort Saul, you'll love <laughs> <laughs> the comedy stylings of Zach Galifianakis. Or he's like, <laughs> and then he says something about Noam Chomsky because then the line is, who ate all the pussy jokes with Noam Chomsky? He's like, <laughs> who ate all the pussy jokes with Zach Galifianaspi? I think is the line that sticks out. <laughs> So I always had the word, I always had the name Mort Saul stuck in my brain from that, uh, mm-hmm. but he just died. So there's a little bit of the Mort Saul, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin. There's a lineage of um, that mm-hmm. kind of rant comic. And then they're they're commenting on the fact that they have their freedom of speech impinged, I guess is the word, or uh, violated. Like George Carlin and where, you know, where we're from, George Carlin was arrested at Summerfest in Milwaukee uh, for doing his seven, what is it? Seven mm-hmm. dirty words bit, um, right. in the seventies. And then I think it all kind of wraps up with, you know, Krusty sells out. My question I had was, can you, mm-hmm. th- has there been anyone you really liked that sold out really hard? That it makes you sad, you know, and man, I wish I had an example off the top of my head, but you called me on it. Yeah. I was to see if, I was to see if you had, I couldn't really think of one either. Mm-hmm. I think cause I don't think in those terms mm-hmm. or, you know what? You know what I I can I could talk about this for hours. So you got to shut me up if mm-hmm. this is the going too much. The example I always think of is Austin Powers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I think Austin Powers International Man of Mystery is a way smarter movie than probably people give credit to if they don't really like okay. dig into it. It's it getting a resurgence. Purely, it's oh yeah, sure, yeah. I mm-hmm. think yeah, streaming helps with that, and it's been an, it's it's been enough time where it's like fun to go back now. Yeah, you know, I th- it's it's not like you know, I don't know if like other cultural comedy, t- you know, Anchorman is it is it time to go back to that? You know, Forty mm-hmm. Year Virgin, you know, the kind of big kind of comedy movies. Austin Powers one, it's a commentary on James Bond. Yeah, first and foremost, and it has a message. And it has a theme, right? <laughs> yeah. Where it's it's almost identical to the Krusty episode that we just discussed, where mm-hmm. it's he's from the past, the things that and, and the whole the nutshell elevator pitch is 
the things that were cool in the 60s would make you a psychopath today. Yeah. Like the world advances <laughs> and you need to advance with it. You cannot just keep going back to the same thing because it becomes offensive. Like the world mm-hmm. and that's and the ultimate message is that's a good thing. People are changing and that's a beautiful thing that they're, they're different than they were 10 years ago, 20 years mm-hmm. ago, 40 years ago. Awesome Powers 1 is it really is constructed to really kind of hit that message, right? It's He's all the James Bond kind of characteristics. Mm. And when he comes, he gets unfrozen in the present time, the 90s at this point. He He's trying to roam or, or to, to bed Elizabeth Hurley. Mm-hmm. And she's not having it because she's a modern girl. And she is not. All those charms and things like repulse her. Yeah. And it's only when he learns... And he, the things he does that he did in the 60s, like, hurts her and um, gets him no progress in the end goal of he's trying to, like, romance her. It's only after he adapts and becomes, like, a new age, kind of, like, modern person. And he gives a speech about this at the end. Does he finally, like, win her over, right? Mm. So it's it's whether or not you think that's the smartest movie. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it has a theme. It has It's well-written. It's got its point. Like, it, it, it's trying to deliver... Uh, a message and it, it does so it's a um, sharp critique of patriarchy austin powers international mm-hmm. man of mystery <laughs> follow that into spy who shagged me <laughs> and then even more so into gold member those were i struggle to tell you what the theme of those movies are mm-hmm. they are essentially like spy who shagged me is just the same thing except it's um i can't think of her name roller girl uh, Heather Heather Graham Heather Heather Graham it's just like the same thing but like it's Heather Graham now and it's like mm. well Austin Powers really shouldn't be upset about this because he just went through it in the last movie mm. you know in the last like he, he should have had that care he has character growth in one right yeah in international man of mystery he has character <laughs> growth in two it's just kind of like okay I struggle to tell you what the theme of that is and it's just I do think the comedy is like better yeah there's more like laugh out loud in the theater and i always like that second one the best Mm -hmm. but like it doesn't have that kind of fulfilling plot or theme or character arc kind of like growth Mm. that that you would have in the first movie and i do think 100 i do the first movie is the best one in that series but two is still like well written three i think is pretty universally like if you were to, i know it's people still like it but like it's i remember for us it was like it was like an event i remember we all went to the mm-hmm. theater to see gold oh, sure. Member. yeah and like you remember the beginning of gold member where it's like the britney spears and there's like pepsi fucking things <laughs> yeah. out there and like and that's just that's like cash in right and i can tell you you can kind of tell that um mike, mike myers, myers is, yeah it's just you know whatever like what was mike myers I mean, he had SNL. He had he had some. I wouldn't say you'd say I. So I married him. Axe Murder was a restounding financial success. Oh, that movie's that he, wild. I rewatched that in the pandemic. It's, it's so weird. Yeah, <laughs> I. It's so weird. I, I. I like it. I do like that movie. But like, he wasn't having. He didn't gain generational wealth from yeah. the box office proceeds <laughs> of that movie. So like. Austin Powers, big hit, the second one. And you, and you can tell, like, he put everything into the first one. Yeah. And then probably never expected to make a second or a third, right? Mm. But it was so popular, and it was just like, I don't know if I'll ever have this again. Gold, so so uh, gold, I mean, member, gold member is the Canyon Arrow 
contract pretty much of michael myers yeah mm-hmm. and i just realized while i gave that while i gave that kind of uh, synopsis dude have me on talk about Austin Powers sometime oh yeah I could talk to you I could talk to you for hours about I've thought so much about that series in the last yeah. like two years um but the yeah, comedian you, that you I, hit I, me I, to it mm-hmm. you hit me to it and I think it hit streaming right at the start of the pandemic so there was a lot of people mm-hmm. re-watching and talking about it or you're gonna say something go go back go back and rewatch International Man of Mystery with like a critical mind yeah just it's not dumb comedy it is much smarter than you probably remember it if you are our age and you saw it. You rented it from the blockbuster and mm. you, you know, it was, oh, it's a spy you shake me. Funny. I remember it's the last, I think it's the last VHS mm-hmm. I ever rented. And then I, we switched to mm-hmm. DVDs. It was, it had a really cool looking VHS cover. I remember that, the <laughs> slip cover. They had that, like, whatever. Not the point. <laughs> um, the comedian, I just realized for the sellout thing that I think is like the one you have to talk about. I don't know why I didn't think of it before. It's Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like well, that's exactly his, like, like what Fit Funny People is about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm. That whole. And I honestly don't. You, you look at everything he's putting out. And regardless of what critical thing that you and I can sit here and talk about how it's like dog shit comedy. It's not it's not funny. It's probably kind of harmful in a lot of ways mm-hmm. or, or probably not or won't age well at least i'll say that much yeah they they still make insane money yeah like it's the same thing with like big bang theory being like yeah. the most like you know making how much and having so much viewership where it's like it doesn't really matter that it's critically um, i think it was you that told me that there's is it uh, tim meadows has that bit or or it was just yeah, an offhand yeah. comment where he's talking about like everybody hates on Adam Sandler, but he f- mm-hmm. he cracked the code. He figured out I'm gonna cast all my friends in my movie, set yeah. it set it in an exotic location where I can go basically vacation for three months. Uh, it'll all be paid for by the proceeds of the film, and it's mm-hmm. guaranteed with all the different people he packs into it. It's guaranteed to get viewership from a bunch of different mm-hmm. communities. And so it's just like prob- okay. You just have fun with your with your buds with your family. Mm-hmm. You just make your thing, and then you come and you make uh, you make your funny people. You make your uncut gems. Like he yeah. still, you know, he wants to maintain that. Like you know, put something serious or put like actually try mm-hmm. for like a piece of art out there. And it's like that's great. I I one hundred percent can live in the world where he does that. He cashes in, and then he wants to actually do something. And if it, if the art is good enough, I think it will rise above the sellout. Mm. portions of it but if you want to you know i have no problem with him as long as you're not hurting anybody as long as you're not being manipulative in any kind of way you go get your bag go for it more power mm-hmm. to you people like it just because i don't like it i can't shit on it like it's i have my problems with with whatever movies that you know he put out outside of that and that's just like my opinion is just like but people love them yeah like my parents love them and i I, we we will never see eye to eye during you know thanksgiving dinner about oh let's watch like Mm grown-ups would be like fine it's an ensemble buddy Mm -hmm. comedy uh Mm grown-ups too i think there might be a third one but it's like the movies like is it called don't mess with the zohan (laughs) (laughs) what's the one where he plays his sister jack and jill jack and jill yeah jack and jill you ever see jack and jill no Oh man, have you ever seen the Al Pacino scene in Jack and Jill? No. Oh, please look it up. Yeah. Done here. <laughs> That's a good thing for people to Google. You can also mm-hmm. find um, 
episode 15 of season nine or it's 16 on Disney Plus, which is probably the only place you can stream that now. However you find it, uh, The Simpsons, Last Temptation of Crust. Uh, so I always kind of rate things at the end of asking mm-hmm. these representations of stand-up. Do you think it, what do you think it says about stand-up comedy? What do I think that episode yeah. says about stand-up comedy? I think it is like we previously kind of like alluded to, that it is somebody's, whatever writer wrote that episode for a, for a thing about, uh, for, for the comedy concept being like, Oh, we need to tell jokes about observational humor. That was just like a comics observation about current. I don't know who in particular, maybe like that's what I was trying to think of. Like what has been kind of comic could this episode would have you know been about? I know it's got to be about somebody. Maybe right? it was a. It seemed to be a dual commentary on at the same time. Nineteen ninety eight. When did when did Seinfeld end? Ninety nine, two thousand. Around so, there, yeah. ninety nine. So mm-hmm. so Jerry Seinfeld at that time is a god, both economically, mm-hmm. culturally, and especially in the TV mm-hmm. ratings game. Simpsons is probably a contender there over at Fox as opposed to NBC. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a dual commentary of the new thing that's popular, observational comedy, takes a very specific voice to do well. It's mm-hmm. talking about the alt comics a little bit with Janine Garofalo's role in there of just being kind of like mean and poo-pooing whatever Krusty's doing. Jay Leno's mm-hmm. there for like, I guess, to represent the state of stand-up in the 90s. Yeah, it's an odd inclusion for the rest of it it's it's beyond i mean he's you know that's not he's the he's the Mm -hmm. probably one of the most seen faces on television at that time so it's like it's like a dual commentary on you can't do what you used to do that's a good thing kind of but you need to be creative about Mm -hmm. what you're doing in the present that's you're not punching down might be the message And and if you're not going to reinvent yourself, sell out. Yeah, <laughs> get 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 your bag while you can. <laughs> uh, and then it's like kind of a biting critique of the. I think so. Simpsons being on after NFL football, which is riddled mm-hmm. with Canyonero style advertisements. It's all trucks <laughs> yeah. and grills and meat and whatever beer. and beer. Yeah. That all is like super just also 1998 to me like and that's the other thing is like before i had a tv in my room i couldn't control Mm -hmm. what was on sunday night and at that time i don't know what maybe like a year after that maybe sopranos started so that's probably what was getting occupying the tv but i simpsons would happen to be on because like my dad watched the packer game let it play Mm -hmm. and whatever else came on like that's when i'd get the lucky like new simpsons episode Mm -hmm. so this was a nice yeah. time capsule trip down memory lane. Any final thoughts? So Austin Powers spy who shagged me. Yeah. No, I got no. no I'm, gonna, I'm tapping out there. That's, that's. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Don't Sit in the Front. Please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle don't underscore sit or don't sit in the front all one word on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking, and our cover art is provided by Memory Bloom Studio. Thank you so much for listening, and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging. <laughs>